farming is a, it's a very ubiquitous industry. It is really one of the biggest industries in the world. We all have to eat. And so there's a pretty high demand. We're, we're starting to find there's a pretty high demand for what we're doing. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey guys, it is Sarah Larby and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? Today's guest, Chris Raleigh, is the CEO of a company called Harvest Returns and they're located in the U.S., what they do is actually agricultural investing and we're going to talk about crowdfunding and what that is all about. It was really insightful for me because even though I know a lot about residential real estate, some stuff about commercial, agriculture is really one of those things that I am pretty much a newbie in learning what a good investment is when it comes to agricultural land, what you can do with it. So it is really, really interesting. And then we also talk about his business and how he got started. And uh, Chris is actually also a captain in the U.S. Navy, and he has invested in real estate and income producing agriculture for nearly two decades. Wow, that's like that's a good amount of time to really, really grasp all the information. And so while visiting a farm investment in Central America, he actually decided to start building a crowdfunding platform so that he can streamline the agriculture investments and so he's been doing that with a partner and super interesting and a great great business person as well so lots of uh, great insights and if you guys have any questions you can visit his website and you can reach out to chris on there and if you guys i wouldn't mind leaving a review and let me know what you think or send me an email again if you are interested in coming to our right club events in burlington Depending on when this is released, send me an email and I will let you know when the next one is, but you can come to your first one if you haven't been there for free. So just send me an email, which is sarah at sarahlarby.com. So cool. Let's talk to Chris and learn all about agricultural investing. Hey guys, so today we have Chris Raleigh. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me, Sarah. So we're going to be talking about a topic that I actually don't know a whole lot about today, and that is agriculture and real estate when it comes to agriculture investing. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that? Sure. So I've been a real estate investor for a long time, probably about 20 years. I started out investing in some single family and I did some small multifamily duplexes. I've done that both active and passively and even done some commercial and several years ago it was kind of after the the big financial crisis i started thinking about wow i love real estate it's there's a lot of ways to make money in this asset class but i know there's a wider world of tangible investments out there and for various reasons agriculture kind of came to to be something that i was more interested in and the thing with agriculture owning a farm is is really the best way to invest in agriculture but there's some pros and cons to that. You have to know what you're doing. Most of all, you have to have a lot of capital up front and you have to work really hard at it. So that's a little bit different than say investing in single family or small multifamily. So at the same time that I became interested in agriculture a few years back, I started to look at different ways to invest in real estate. And one of these ways was with equity crowdfunding. And equity crowdfunding is a little different than your listeners may be familiar with social crowdfunding like Kickstarter 
or GoFundMe where you're basically either donating money to a project or basically investing in a project with the hope of getting a prototype product or that sort of thing. But equity crowdfunding and the rules vary from state, state and country to country, but more or less it's, it just allows you to invest in a project with a small amount of money. So you're pooling your money with a lot of other investors in order to buy a big project. So I combined those two. The idea was to combine agriculture with equity crowdfunding, and that's how we started our company, Harvest Returns. That's amazing. So I have a lot of questions. I want to ask you some questions just about the crowdfunding piece, but also before I get into that, if somebody, for example, has a handful of properties already, maybe they have a little bit of commercial and they want to get into this actively rather than passively, what do they need to look for? What do they need to consider? To be an active farmland investor or active farm investors is very similar to being like a, say an active apartment investor. You have to go out, identify a property, potentially work with a broker, do your due diligence, look at the, the finances, that sort of thing, and then secure some sort of capital. So that could be bank loans, that could be your own equity investment for the down payment, or that, that could bring be bringing together other investors. From that perspective, a agriculture property is very similar to any sort of commercial real estate property. Okay, so usually higher down payment may be required, financing may be a little bit different as well. How do you make money from agriculture? So there's a lot of different ways, just like there's a lot of different ways to make money from, say, single family houses. Most common way is to go out and to buy a piece of land. And generally, most people don't farm the land themselves. I mean, these days, a lot of land has been in families in North America, Canada and U.S. for multiple generations. And those families don't actually farm the land. It's somebody, a farmer farms the land and pays them cash rent, just like you might get rent from a tenant in a uh, condominium or, a, or an apartment or whatever. Other ways is you can set up a more of a farm development type of project where you're bringing together, uh, you know, you might buy a piece of land and infrastructure improvements on it, be it fencing to raise livestock or irrigation for certain types of crops, or even lately what we see is a lot more indoor agriculture and a lot more capital intensive types of crops. And I'd love to talk more about that at at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just trying to figure out, so you'll make money in a few different ways, but what are some of the risks? Like, I mean, obviously with with high rewards, there's risks. What are some Mm -hmm. of them? Yeah. So there's, you know, some of the risks that are the same with like, say a a real estate investment would be just the business. The main one is the business doesn't perform according to plan. So you expect to have uh, certain commodity prices, which would be comparable to say a a certain rent prices, rents that you gather on a a real estate investment, say a single family home and the rents aren't there and you just can't make say your debt service or your make a successful business. But specific to agriculture, you're going to have weather disease, insects, all those things can be mitigated. You have crop insurance, you have commodity hedging. If you have enough land and you're growing something large enough in a more commoditized crop, like say soybeans or wheat or corn, there's some hedging strategies that a farmer can use or a landowner can use that offsets price drops. It's interesting. Okay. So that's the piece. I mean, it sounds like there are some similarities, but there are still differences when it comes to agriculture versus commercial or residential. And you also mentioned, obviously, crowdfunding. So if somebody's like, wow, this is a little bit too much, too soon, you mentioned that there is crowdfunding available. So can you talk a little bit about that? Right. So 
There are literally dozens of real estate crowdfunding platforms out there for and peer-to-peer lending platforms, some of which do real estate for real estate. And we are the first, if not one of the first crowdfunding platforms out there that's doing agriculture, uh, production agriculture investment. So there's AgFunder. They're a friend of ours, not a competitor, but they do sort of agriculture technology. So startups in agriculture, like precision farming and robotic farming and biotechnology and all those sorts of neat things. But we're simply a alternative funding source for farmers who want to raise capital. So farmers who are not well served by the agriculture credit system that's in the US and Canada, they, they approach us and, and to bring in either equity investors or put together a debt instrument. Okay, so how do you make your money? So we make money, we take listing fees and sometimes we take an interest in the actual investment, but it's primarily through the farmers pay us to put their investment opportunity on our platform and we help them put that in front of investors. Okay, now some of your customers, are they Canadian or mostly just American right now, fewer farmers? Mostly American. We have certainly talked to some Canadians. We haven't done a deal yet with Canadians, so we would love to do that. We'll be, in fact, I'll put in a little pitch. I'll be up in Toronto for a global economic forum I'm speaking in November, but if any Canadians want to come find me, I'll be happy to talk to them. But we're talking to farmers all over the world. I mean, we, we've done deals in Latin America. We're actually doing a deal and we're, we're talking to farmers in Africa and Asia and all over North and South America. So there's farming is a, it's a very ubiquitous industry. It is really one of the biggest industries in the world. We all have to eat. And so there's a, a pretty high demand where we're starting to find there's a pretty high demand for what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So just from a, like an individual perspective, because it sounds really interesting what you're doing and I love the business concept. Now, let's just say for me, for example, I wanted to find a farmer and figure out what we can do as a joint venture. Like, is there that kind of stuff that happens with just individual versus individual or is it usually done through a crowdfunding platform like this? Yeah, I mean, you could certainly, if you have a a network that allows you to reach out and find a farmer and you want to help that farmer invest in his or her property, you could certainly do that. I mean, that's pretty, that's certainly a legitimate way to, to kind of invest in agriculture. But we kind of do that for you. We take a, we act as the person who goes out and we receive dozens and dozens of inquiry and we kind of sort through those and we look at the ones that make the most sense financially. We're also looking at other aspects such as, the environmental sustainability, the social viability of a project. And we put those investments together, structure them so that they'll produce a, a good return for investors and put them on our platform and then open it up to investors. So what we see as the beauty of crowdfunding is that we take away some of that, those steps and allow you to invest with a pretty small minimum into an agriculture farming project. Okay. All right. And what does that minimum look like? So our minimums range from $5,000 US up to about $25,000 US. And yeah, that's a lot of money. But if you think about like how much it costs to say, invest in a single family house, make a down payment, or even a multifamily house, it's not that significant compared to that. And the other thing about crowdfunding, whether going through our platform or any other platform is that most of these platforms are designed to have small minimums so you can diversify your investment across multiple properties or projects. So that helps you kind of spread the risk out, helps you if you're new to an investment asset class like real estate or agriculture and you've never invested in, you're kind of scared and you know, you're know you maybe used to working with stocks or bonds or mutual funds or something like that. It allows you to just uh, put a, a small amount of your portfolio at risk and see how it does. And then if you like it, you can increase your investments. Okay. Well, that's a cool concept. So looking at agriculture, farmland, et cetera, like how do you 
how do we find out if something's a good deal or not? Yeah, so like I sort of said, we, we kind of look at a lot of different criteria working at specifically the, the background of the farmer. Is this somebody who is, has been farming with their family or, or in a business for a long time? Do they know what they're doing? So sponsor track record, whether no matter what you're investing in, that's that's a good thing to look at. Find somebody who knows what they're doing and who has preferably done it before. So sponsor track record is our primary criteria. The actual commodity that you're investing in, the agriculture product, whether it's row crops, something uh, sort of lower return, but stable because it's backed up by land is one side of the thing. And then there's higher return, higher risk investments that might involve development projects where you're taking a piece of land and you're putting a lot of improvements on it and you're doing something like indoor agriculture or hydroponics or aquaculture or something like that. And then you're also, you know, there's some, those intangible factors that we like to look at that I mentioned, environmental sustainability of the project. Are you helping farmers stay farming and putting, if it's an emerging market investment, are you creating jobs in an area that may not have jobs, that sort of thing. Okay. All right. So definitely it's important to do your due diligence, whether it's for agriculture or any other type of investing that you're doing and that you're looking at. So in terms of if something does go bad, whether it's with a crowdfunding platform or a deal when it comes to agriculture, what's the process and the exit strategy? Like, is it as easy to sell a farm or a piece of land in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, any type of private investment, which is what these are, where you're investing passively, you're reliant on the general partner or the asset manager to make those decisions. And should something go wrong? The nice thing about agriculture is like real estate, there's usually a land component. So worst case, say of the underlying business, but a business you're sitting on a piece of land, you might be sitting on some capital infrastructure like barns or fencing or irrigation systems. So there's an underlying value there, even if the business itself is bad. So looking at the track record of the sponsor, looking at the asset manager or the crowdfunding platform who might be acting as an asset manager is kind of the important things for helping. Hopefully your deal doesn't go sideways, but that's those measures are in place. And there's also those mitigation measures like crop insurance. Nice thing about agriculture. So if you have a, say if you have a investment in a, an apartment building or a small multifamily and that building just burns to the ground. Well, you've got insurance and you could pay for it, but you're, you're losing all those rents and you're losing them for an indefinite time period. And you're probably just stuck with the land. With agriculture, say if you have a bad crop year, Basically, you just start over again next year or maybe even in that same growing season, depending on the timing. If there's an insect infestation or a drought or something like that, it's a pretty safe investment from that regard, as long as the farmer knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if you know, but in Ontario, marijuana was just legalized as of this month. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of people looking at investing in like marijuana stocks. <laughs> there's a lot of talks about that. Is that something that you guys have ever considered or looked into? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, the same thing's happening in the, the U.S., although for us, it's kind of state by state. So it's it was nice Canada, I think, for you guys because they did it sort of wholesale across the country. And for us, it's be a multi-year process for each state to deregulate. And there's sort of a process where they go medicinal marijuana to recreational marijuana, basically anything goes and that's happening state by state. So we are still, those regulations here in the U.S. are still in flux and we do see a lot of competition, mostly from Canadian companies because you guys are kind of ahead of the curve on that. And so we are 
right now not in that business at some point we might get into that business but you know here's the thing with marijuana investments so the people that are really making the money and it's just something for your listeners to think about if anybody's considering investing in a marijuana operation the people that are really making the money are like what we call the pick and shovel guys so if you think of the gold rush in the 19th century in the yukon everybody went up there and everybody wanted to make a fast buck in what happened was uh, most of these people ended up losing all their money, except for the people that were selling the miners' picks and shovels. They made a killing. So the same thing sort of happening in the marijuana industry, where the people that are selling the fertilizer and the grow houses and the grow lights and the, the technology behind growing are the ones making a lot of money, not necessarily the people that are actually growing, because once it's legalized, the price drops. And like any other other commodity that's been illegal, when you make it openly accessible, there's more commodity on a market and the prices fall. So that's just something to be aware of. Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I look at some of the stocks once in a while, the stock market and some of the marijuana stocks, I mean, when it was first legalized. And I don't know if it was a supply issue just because there was not a lot of supply and then they were basically out after a couple of days is what I hear. Mm-hmm. But, but the stocks dropped dramatically to the point where you know, any gains from the past year are basically lost <laughs> on yeah, some yeah. of those stocks, which is quite interesting. I mean, I'm holding on because for me, this is play money. I This is not the, the money that I really look at seriously like I do with real estate. This is more of a, mm-hmm. let's test and experiment the market just for fun. But it is funny that you mentioned that because uh, it's, it's starting to come back up, but there was a huge, <laughs> huge drop as soon as it uh, it became legal for the next couple of days after that. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely a market to watch. So I'm just curious for you. So you started your business and you've built this. Like, How did you even come up with the concept of being your own boss and creating this business? Did you ever have a job or was that never your Yeah, I've had a few jobs. I'm kind of an old guy as far as an entrepreneur goes. I've always wanted to start a business and maybe that's because it kind of runs in my family. Actually, real estate sort of runs in my family, real estate entrepreneurship. My father, he was one of the first guys to build self-storage facilities in in Texas in the 1970s. His father was like one of the first guys to build drugstores, like kind of the corner drugstores we think about now that uh, didn't used to be a thing in say the 1950s and 40s, but now they're everywhere. And so I, I don't know, it's kind of in my blood or my DNA to, to be a real estate entrepreneur. And it just took me a while to get to the point where I am to be able to, to say, okay, it's time. Let's, let's do this and start this company. That's very cool. And I'm very intrigued by different types of investing. And you mentioned there are some things that have some benefits, like the storage units where you don't really have to, with the landlord tenant board in Ontario, it's definitely not in our favor. So things like storage units and that kind of stuff. Do you have any of your own or is that just family? No, I don't. I mean, I don't, I'm not in that business. My dad sold out of that business decades ago. So I, I do think it's a great investment. If any real estate investors are kind of looking, looking at different asset classes, I think self-storage is always a good one. It's kind of a recession-proof industry. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously there's different types of investing and there's different, you know, there's paper assets and there's obviously there's real estate and there's agriculture and et cetera. Like, what do you think somebody needs to have as a portfolio breakdown percent, maybe percentage-wise of allocation? Like how much of agriculture should we even consider whether it's a stock or doing something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. So we kind of base our idea on this based on what the institutional investors are doing. So since about the 1980s or so, agriculture and natural resources has have been a interesting or agriculture asset or an asset class for institutional investors. And when I say institutional investors, I'm talking about things like pension funds, 
university endowments, hedge funds, private equity funds, they generally have about 10% of their portfolio in natural resources, the ones that we've spoken to. And so if you were to want to diversify your portfolio a bit, hopefully most of your listeners either have some real estate in your portfolio or want to get some real estate in your portfolio. But I, I think you know anywhere between say five and 15% of someone's portfolio in some type of agriculture would probably be a good sort of point to shoot for. Where should I invest with your host, Sarah Larvey? We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that, and B, I didn't have 35% to put down, I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors, and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com. And then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Okay. And do you know, like just the average, and obviously it doesn't have to be, you know, I know it changes over a year, but on the average percentage or return on investment, Is it usually similar to the stock market or kind of returns maybe over the last 10 years are people seeing? Yeah, so it's it just depends on what you're investing in, different risk rewards. If you're investing in, say, row crops in Saskatchewan, massive wheat country up there, those returns are going to be lower. So you're dealing with commodity that uh, is well known. The land appreciates slowly, maybe a few percent a year. And then on top of that, maybe you have another few percent of that, that cash crop from selling the crops every year. If you're investing in something 
let's say higher tech, like say a new hydroponics development or an aquaculture development or something like that, you might see 19, 20% annual return. And that's because there's a higher risk with those. You're starting from scratch, those later kind of investments, and it's just the risk generally tends to match the reward, just like any other sort of thing. So just like a real estate, you decide to buy an old apartment building that's been there for decades, that's going to be one rate of return. If you're building an apartment building from the ground up as a development, that's going to be a much higher, but you've also got some risk there. Okay. And now there's a lot of people saying that there could be a potential market crash. Like does this, is how correlated is this in comparison to the stock market? Yeah, agriculture is negatively correlated. Like most types of agriculture is negatively correlated to the stock market and even the bond market. I mean, it's definitely not correlated. So in times, commodities tend to sort of inversely correlate to the stock market. So the stock market falls down, commodities, which would include corn, soy, wheat, those sorts of things are going to go up. But there's a lot of factors there. Food prices, the consumer price index that might be driving food prices, all those sorts of things. But it this is why it's a great portfolio diversifier is because you may have some of your money in stocks and bonds, but you should definitely have something that's outside of the stock market, a certain percentage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is important to diversify, whether it's paper and real assets and personally gold or, or silver mm-hmm. as well. And mm-hmm. I guess the agriculture can fit in as, as a good piece to, uh, to diversify further. So yeah, definitely. Is there anything that like you would like to share that I didn't ask you that people should know about agriculture? So one thing that, that we're really excited about is kind of the new ways that people are growing food all over North America. And people are, this is mostly demand for specialized types of diets. So one way or the other, agriculture grows, is growing as an investment class because the world population can grow and people's diets can continue to specialize. So people are into veganism and keto and high protein diets and all those or eating organic, all those sorts of things are require specialized methods of growing food. So we're really excited to be talking to farmers about doing indoor agriculture and hydroponics and aquaponics and aquaculture and growing food closer to the consumer. So there's a lot of, a lot of benefits to doing that. Although it's hard to scale to one extent, you're always going to have big commoditized agriculture, wheat and soy, things like that. This indoor growing is pretty interesting. We're, we're really excited about that. Yeah, because so you could do that in any climate, any season then. Yeah, that's the main thing. It's it's kind of all season. You generally don't have to worry about drought or too much rain, too little rain. Insects and disease is normally not a problem with indoor agriculture. The usage of water is significantly less in, say, hydroponics than it is if irrigating crops in soil. And there are growing food in, say, a warehouse in a suburb. It takes a lot less energy to transport that food to a market, an urban market, than, say, growing food hundreds of kilometers away. Okay. No, that's really interesting. And I guess the other question I have when it comes to something like this and investing in these types of, uh, whether it's crowdfunding, I'm going to say as an example, crowdfunding, do people have the ability to use like their RSPs and tax-free savings accounts? Is that like a registered option for buying these types of funds? Yeah. So our just take, for example, our platform Harvest Returns is pretty flexible in the, the type of investments we'll take, whether it's a, from a retirement account or from just someone's, say, cash account. But the bottom line is the rules are different, a little bit different in Canada than they are in the U.S. and than they are in, say, Germany. And, you know, if somebody's going to invest with a with a crowdfunding platform, they should definitely talk to their accountant or 
attorney or at least do some deep research on the internet before they make that investment. All right, perfect. So that was, I mean, that was really insightful. Like I really know nothing about investing in and this type of stuff. And I personally haven't done any crowdfunding deals in the past. So definitely a lot of things. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome, Sarah. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, but the next, before you go, we do have a lightning round. So that's, <laughs> that is five key questions that I ask everybody that comes on the show. They're all the same questions. Okay. And then just let me know what the first thing that comes to your mind is. And if you don't know, that's fine. You can pass. So number one, <laughs> what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? I have a lot of books that I like, but I'll, I'll say one that's pretty good. It's called Capital Attraction, and that's by Matt Burke. And that's a book. It's a really kind of concise, easy, quick read about how to raise money or how to how to buy real estate using other people's money and how to raise capital. And that's kind of the essence of the business we do. So that's a good one. Capital Attraction. Okay. All right. Great. And number two, what's your favorite podcast? Oh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So I listen to some real estate podcasts and I listen to some agriculture podcasts. I won't mention which ones, but they're, you know, it's kind of 50 50 between those. And occasionally I'll listen to other types of business podcasts, but mostly I, I kind of focus on investing and agriculture. Okay, great. I didn't even know there were agricultural podcasts. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So, number three, what do you do for fun aside from your business and real estate? So, I love to travel. And I love water sports, whether that's fishing or paddleboarding or kayaking or sailing. And if I can combine those two, that's even better. All right. Awesome. That sounds fun. I love the water and the sun <laughs> and the nice weather. Number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? So I would definitely start at real estate and I would start by finding partners. When I first started investing in real estate, you know, like I said, about 20 years ago, I kind of did it all on my own. If I was smart, I would have sought out some partners and whether they had money or whether they had some expertise. I guess I'm the guy with the expertise now, but I would definitely look for some some people to partner with. Okay, great joint ventures. Number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it? So I would definitely spend that 50,000 in one place. At some point, you have to kind of jump in and get your feet wet, whether you're buying single family houses to rent out or whether you're doing any other type of investment. But these days, I mean, in a bias, crowdfunding is a cool way to learn a little bit about the asset class you're investing in and to spread your money across multiple investments, multiple types of properties. And it's unlikely that all that 50000 add in one place. So I, I look at crowdfunding platforms. Okay, cool. So Chris, if uh, somebody wants to reach out to you, how can they do that? Easiest way is to go to our website, harvestreturns.com. But we're also on all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find us there as well, harvestreturns.com. Amazing. And any last final words of advice or anything else that you'd like to let the listeners know? Yeah, just I think education is really important. So there's a lot of blogs out there and there's podcasts like yours that are just awesome. And they kind of start can start with sort of any level of knowledge and get yourself educated before you invest. But don't have analysis paralysis. Go out and make stuff happen. OK, awesome. I love that saying as well. Well, thank you so much on that note, Chris, for being on Where Should I Invest. Really, really appreciate all the insights. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, please, please feel free to go to Chris's website and get some more information about this type of investing that not many of us know about. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.